This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich. I am here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With Rebecca Ford. Hello. With David Canfield. Hi. And this week we're joined by a very special guest. We are joined by Esther Zuckerman of Thrillist and the author of a new book called Beyond the Best Rest. Hi, Esther. Thank you for joining us. Thank you guys for having me so much. I'm so excited. I mean, Esther, you're on because you've got a new book and it's about Oscar dresses, which we'll talk about plenty. Um, But you're an Oscar nut and nerd just like the rest of us. Um, And this is a really exciting time to talk about Oscar predictions. So are you ready to just put your big old predictions hat on and and go with us in our last episode before the nominations? I sure am. I'm nervous. It's intimidating, I feel like. Well, the whole point is that nobody knows anything and uh, we'll all be wrong somehow. Um, And the fun is just figuring out all the various ways in which we'll be wrong. I mean, I won't Um, be, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, more than I I, as I I went on subtext and asked some of our listeners to send us their questions and more than one person brought up your uh, post-it predictions um, as immortalized by Joanna. So we'll we'll get there. Terrible news. (laughs) Don't worry. Um, So, yeah, later in the show, we'll talk about uh, Esther's book and Oscar fashion in general. Um, But first, let's catch up on... The news we've had in the past week, there was one very big news day last Thursday, and then um, next Tuesday, February 8th, we'll have nominations. So, Rebecca, you were the one we deputized to keep track of the PGA, WGA, and DGA Guild nominations last Thursday. Um, How did that go? How was that marathon for you? Don't forget the Ace Editing Awards were also (laughs) the same day. Honestly, Um, I should not have. They are important, too. As an awards nerd, it was actually pretty fun because it just felt more impactful to sort of have all of these things coming almost every hour in the morning. And that's never happened before. You know, usually these trickle in over a couple weeks. So it did feel like for those of us who are reading awards tea leaves all season, it it gave you a little more to work with. Um, Mm -hmm. And there were some surprises, I think. Not a ton, but enough to make it exciting. So I think... It was a really fun day. <laughs> <laughs> what was the big moment of clarity for you out of all of those put together? Well, I think it solidified the front runners for me. You know, we saw Belfast and Power of the Dog get everything they needed to get. Both of them were not eligible for WGA, but they, you know, landed on all the other lists. So um, to me, that felt like these are the two we're looking at at sort of the top of the best picture list. So to really have that solidified after what's felt like a sort of unpredictable season um, felt nice. David, you were right there too. What stood out for you in all these nominations? 
Um, well, West Side Story missing an editing nomination was a bit eye-popping uh, with the Editing Guild. And, and I've been of the mind that Licorice Pizza might be a little bit underrated in this race as not just a strong nomination possibility, but maybe a winner dark horse. And I do think that Paul Thomas Anderson making the five for DGA is an indication that the movie has really landed in a significant way with the industry. And I, I think it has a feel-good... LA love letter vibe that really clicks and that could provide a nice contrast to some of the other contenders this season, like Power of the Dog and Belfast, um, which both have their own disadvantages. Um, but I agree with Rebecca are very clearly out front right now. So um, I, I, to me, it was more like West Side Story getting down a notch, um, still definitely in it for the nomination and, and Licorice Pizza. I'm um, really nicely positioned right now. Yeah, I was definitely nervous in that couple hours between... Um you know, between guilds that like Spielberg wasn't going to make the DGA list and I was going to have to like start a riot somewhere, but he made that list. So <laughs> it, it's still in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, but about Licorice Pizza, I feel like a lot of us have been just rem- reminding ourselves of Phantom Thread, which emerged late in the season and everyone was kind of like, well, what are they going to make of this? And then it, it shows up on Oscar nominations morning with a surprising haul, like Leslie Manville gets in there. Um, and I don't know what the version of that surprise would be this year, like if it, you know, somehow like gets a bunch of technical nods or, you know, Bradley Cooper, someone we're keeping an eye on, but it does feel like licorice pizza could could pop in the same way. Richard, what'd you notice? Well, I liked in Rebecca's piece that she wrote sort of synthesizing all of this, that um, she did gently lay to rest some movies like House of Gucci, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> you know, saying that it looks like maybe that's the end of the road for that movie beyond Gaga. But, you know, who knows? Um, I think Coda recurring into two nominations like in writers and producers that's like that's a best picture nominee which like that what a long story that's going to have been you know the oscar ceremony is going to be what 14 months after that movie premiered mm. um oh, which yeah. you know power of sundance i guess but I don't, I don't know i i think that in some ways this is exactly the list that i would have guessed it would have been a couple months ago but I feel like what's happening really in in sort of subtle ways is that there are shifts within that major list. You know, like I think you're right that Licorice Pizza now is kind of burbling closer to the top than I thought it would. I thought it would get like a, you know, we respect that movie kind of series of nominations. But now it's like, no, I think it could actually win in places that I didn't Mm -hmm. expect it to. Well, Esther, unlike the rest of us, uh, listeners don't know your biases in this award season. So what were you (laughs) what were you fist pumping about from this uh, big crop of nominations? I mean, I'm always fist pumping for Power of the Dog. Um, That's my dog in this race. Um, I'm so sorry about that. Um, I really apologize for saying that. We've all done it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I mean, like, I'm happy that that sort of remains the traction because I also have my anti-Belfast bias is pretty strong. I'm I'm not really a fan of that movie. Um, You know, I think looking at these, I think it's cool... It's, I, it's obviously not going to win and it'll get a ton of technical noms probably. But I think it's cool, like, for me, at least the staying power of Dune over the season, um, that it's certainly in there to get a nomination. I mean, I think there was all this hand wringing before it came out that, like, it was going to completely flop and it was just this disaster on WB's part. And I really liked I really liked Dune. So I'm happy to see it sort of keep getting the recognition and will probably come away with a ton of nominations, if not wins, um, except for the technical categories. Yeah. I think something about Dune, which I did on the record think was going to flop. So I was very wrong. Uh, <laughs> I, know I, I know I said at the top of this episode that I'm never wrong. I often am. Um, but it's an interesting thought experiment to say, OK, like if this wasn't 2021, second year of the pandemic, 
where the industry is so up in the air. I mean, obviously, Spider-Man has done a lot to sort of shore up um, the industry. And I've read something today about AMC kind of doing the theater chain doing better than um, it had in the past two years. I still I think Dune would have been in there no matter the year. I don't think that that movie is being looked at as some sort of like marker of a healthy-ish industry. I think it's just genuinely like broadly respected um, by yeah. these various guilds, <clears throat> and um, so yeah, it's it, it's not going to have the asterisk next to it next to its name that I thought it might. And to that end, I mean, I've been saying it. We've we maybe have all been saying it for a few months now. Like, I really think Villeneuve could win. Ooh, mm. in, in best director. Yeah. Wow, mm, I like that. I've been so like convinced Jane Campion has it sewn up that I haven't really thought about alternatives. I think he's the challenger for sure. I do think it's interesting that Dune and maybe I've made this up to be significant, but the Dune and Licorice Pizza were the only two that hit every group on that day. Um, you know, they were oh, both wow. el- eligible for WGA, which some of a bunch of films were not. So, you know, you have to remember that. But I do think it does mean they're playing across different guilds really, really well. Um Oh, and the last film I thought was pleasantly surprising was Tick, Tick, Boom, because mm-hmm. yeah. I think we all sort of viewed that as um, just being all about Andrew Garfield. And, you know, it made PGA, WG and the editing list. So it's also sort of hitting groups I didn't really expect. And, and I think bodes very well for it. And the DGA um, first time director category, which is, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a weird cognate, like the Oscars don't have anything like it. But the list was great. It was Maggie Gyllenhaal for Lost Otter, Rebecca Hall for Passing, Tatiana Huezo for Prayers of the Stolen, which I have not seen and don't know much about. Um, then Limon Miranda with Tick, Tick, Boom, Michael Cernowski for Pig, and Emma Seligman for Shiva Baby. Um, just a really nice, uh, exciting list of people who are up and coming. Rebecca, do you think there's any chance that because No Time to Die got in at the Ace Editing Awards that it could be slotted into a 10 best picture list you know i was just debating this yesterday Richard, (laughs) because the whole theory right is opening it up to 10 is possibly going to allow in sort of the bigger audience pleaser film um and that could be that movie we know spider-man is not going to be in that list anymore after these announced these guilds so I wouldn't count it out. There's so many films competing that most of the day I feel like I know what my top 10 are. Um, but I I do think it's possible. What do you guys think? I think a lot of times, though, Ace does go for like, you know, like a Blade Runner 2049 mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. films that maybe or Star Wars The Force Awakens, I know, was nominated by them. So, you know, they, they do tend to recognized well-made blockbusters that don't ultimately like that make that best picture lineup and i don't think either of those would have made a best picture 10 either i just feel like it needed to hit pga mm-hmm. um it's just it's too much in the vein of the kind like skyfall made pga it's too much in the vein of the kind of movie that producers would really lift up um yeah, but PGA, big... pga often will put like a blockbuster in there that yeah. people are a little bit more um not as bullish on their Oscar chances. Never forget the Wonder Woman PGA nomination. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I had. But, I'm so glad you reminded me. <laughs> but um, by the time this is out, the BAFTA nominations will be out. And if No Time to Die has a bigger showing there than we expect, if it has had a bigger showing, listeners, uh, you tell us, then I do think that it's still in it to some extent. But it would need to have a good showing on today. <laughs> Um, I wanted to talk about King Richard, which made uh, three of these four lineups. It didn't make Directors Guild, but it was in Producers, Writers Guild, and the Editing Awards. I think, um, David, you were talking about how that that, that Editing Award felt especially surprising, although the the tennis sequences are uh, complicated to direct. Um, And when I asked... 
our listeners to text us kind of some of their questions. We got a couple people asking about Will Smith and the the status of King Richard's momentum. Um, so does this make us feel a little bit more uh, excited about King Richard's chances and Will Smith's in particular? I think so. If you look at the DGA5 uh, plus the three movies that were nominated by SAG and the PGA, uh, which are Don't Look Up, Coda, and King Richard, those are pretty strong, I think, Best Picture 8. And King Richard has... Um, kind of floated in the top slash bottom tier since it premiered in Telluride. Um, but I think uh, last week it really affirmed that it's very solidly, at least in the Best Picture 10, um, which only helps Will Smith's chances because he's been the front runner all season. And if he's backed by, you know, an overall contender, uh, it's hard to see how he wouldn't run away with the whole thing. So I'm I am full. Will Smith is winning the Oscar still. Because that that would that's a good cover the bases thing. It's like we like this movie. Yeah. We're going to nominate Best Picture and a couple other things, and then Will Smith, and then he'll be the representative of the film on the stage that night, and that's a big yeah. representative to have. Yeah. This this is not Sylvester Stallone for Creed. Hmm. <laughs> that's a that's I don't a know good why way. that's my exa- I don't know why that's my example, but it is <laughs> sports sports movie sports low nominee famous actor. <laughs> Um, That's a good way to look at the potential Best Picture lineup, you know, as we uh, attempt to make our Oscar nomination predictions. You've got the Directors Guild 5, Licorice Pizza, Belfast, Power of the Dog, West Side Story, Doom. Then, as you said, David, Coda, Don't Look Up, and King Richard. So then from the PGA list, the two outliers there are being the Ricardos and Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, So either those two fill out the final Oscar 10 and it's an exact 10-10 match or what else? What else comes in there instead? I think my Mm. the one I'm, I'm so on the fence about because I've been assigned to predict the best picture category in our <laughs> upcoming article is um, Nightmare Alley because mm-hmm. it's, it's just been it's been really uneven in its its nominations. But I do feel like it has some new momentum right now. And Guillermo del Toro is doing everything for this movie. Like he is moderating all these Q&A's. He is doing tons of interviews. Like he's really keeping it um, sort of on people's mind. And there's black and white uh, version that's out in theaters right now. So, and, you know, he won Best Picture not so long ago. So I do, I just wonder if it slips into the 10. It also just hit Hulu, which, I mean, hard to say what that visibility is, but it might just continue to gain momentum as it becomes more accessible. Um, I mean, it's sort of crazy that it's on Hulu now, but it is. <laughs> yeah, and it's on and HBO, HBO Max. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Very puzzling to me, but, you know, no release strategies make sense these days. It had that Martin Scorsese um, sort of stamp of approval in the L.A. Times. Yeah, I mean, if you've got Scorsese and Guillermo del Toro wrapping your movie, those are pretty strong ambassadors. Um, Mm -hmm. Esther, any other any bubble movies you're paying attention to going into Tuesday? I mean, I'm definitely look. I mean, I'm definitely interested in Tick Tick Boom to see if it, you know, if that PGA nomination translates. I mean, Obviously, coming from the critical side, it will be interesting to see what Drive My Car does. I don't think it's probably getting into the 10, but there are obviously a lot of champions of that movie, and it'd be interesting to see whether it can crack other categories, including Best Director. Yeah, we had a couple of... Um, oh, sorry, finish your thought, Esther. Oh, it's sort of the, like, the, the Cold War, um, and I cannot pronounce uh, Pavel. <laughs> his name nomination and i butchered that i'm so sorry to him 
Yeah, we had a couple listeners in the uh, subtext mention Drive My Car. Uh, Douglas Dale says he's calling his shot that it got the Drive My Car got in for Best Picture and Director. And then uh, someone else asked about, you know, who this year's Thomas Vinterberg is going to be, which I think we've talked about. It's probably going to be uh, Hamaguchi. But do after that DGA5 seeming pretty solid, do we think that he's got room to sneak in there? Mm. I have been assigned to predict the directing category. <laughs> and it is, um, it's very hard for me to take any of those five out. Normally what DJ will do, because they almost never match up with the Oscars five for five, is they'll nominate like a, a more script driven uh, best picture contender, like a spotlight or last year's trial of Chicago seven, which you can more easily see the Academy's directing branch, you know, overlooking in favor of something like Thomas Vinterberg for another round um, or any number of the international contenders who have made their way into that category in the last few years. So I don't see one of this five that kind of fits that bill. I suppose Licorice Pizza is probably the most obvious, but DGA didn't nominate PTA for Phantom Thread. Um, And I think that this movie will click with uh, directors if it clicked with the guild at large. Um, Mm And then you've got, you know, there's that kind of lingering actor turned director bias that you see in the Academy. I don't even know if Kenneth Branagh is still seen that way, but we have seen Bradley Cooper and Ben Affleck uh, snubbed of late. But I don't know. It's hard for me to see <laughs> which lane he would take. And I mean, there is also the sort of nagging question of whether West Side Story is a little weaker than we thought, which will be answered next week. Yeah, I go back and forth on whether or not West Side Story is weaker than we thought or if it like surges with the Academy because Same. it's like more accessible to them. Because there's been a lot of speculation about it not being as easy for SAG voters to watch, but like maybe Academy, Academy voters have better access and it gets 12 nominations. Who knows? I, I think that movie is sort of, I don't really know how to classify it, middling box office performance um, sure. ha- has actually led to like a surge of support, like screw the what you know the finances or the pandemic related box office we like this movie you know i I just think i think that movie is going to have um a lot of champions who feel very passionately about it and uh so i i think it'll perform better than it looked like it would just a few weeks ago even the run for revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture i am fran libowitz um who should be the mayor of new york we all support yeah, that. We support that. <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great Shield being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are. AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K, and a winter okay. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run-Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. 
So we got a lot of questions about the Best Actress race, um, which makes sense. I, I feel like Oscar obsessives tend to think about Best Actress more than more than most people. And Esther, you're <laughs> now. Why might that alone. be demographically? <laughs> Listen, we love the gowns, beautiful gowns, and uh, big performances. A lot of people are worried about Kristen Stewart, um, which we've talked about a fair amount. Um, Michael Hader says Gaga in or out, uh, putting it plainly, and then. Um, Clint Morris asked if a second Oscar win for Olivia Coleman, how that would affect her career, which is a really interesting way to think of it because, like, Glenda Jackson is the model for that, having done that in the 70s, but her career was very unique as well. Anyway, does anyone have feel like they have a firm grip on where Best Actress is going to take us? You know, we've been talking to a lot of sort of awards consultants and insiders in the past couple of weeks, and it just sounds like if Kristen Stewart does not make this, it'll just be this giant upset. I know she didn't make SAG, but... I think it would just be the biggest shock of the day if she does not make the five actress nominees. Well, well the strange thing is that she almost now seems like the swing, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would have said, okay, you know, a month ago I would have said, you know, maybe there's a dim chance that Chastain will get in or maybe Rachel Zegler. But now I feel like Chastain is more of a sure bet and it's kind of between Stuart and Ziegler, but maybe that's a totally wrong read of things um, because the SAGs aren't 100% predictive, obviously. But I, this late surge for Chastain, I think, is very interesting. And I guess it's because, you know, like we all said back in September when we saw the movie, that it's one of those big biopic performances that the Academy loves. And I know that Stewart's is also a biopic, but it's a different sort of animal. I almost wonder if her missing SAG was necessary for her campaign Mm. to sort of signal to those that Hmm. think she should be nominated but don't feel passionate about her or especially the movie that she is in trouble and that this is you know because I, i do think to an extent voters do think that way and and there was a kind of complacency around her as a front runner, which was very clearly misplaced based on overall sentiments around the film so i feel like there's been a renewed sort of push for her campaign, she did uh, Colbert and CBS Sunday Morning during Oscar nomination voting, which was a, it's a pretty tight window. So that's definitely a concerted push. And I, I do think that there's a there's a renewed sense of, come on, she needs to be nominated for this at the very least. Um, now that we've kind of moved on from the can she win for this conversation, which feels pretty beyond possibility at this point. Um, so maybe that is kind of what she needed to make sure she gets into the five, because I agree with Rebecca having just you know, gauged where people are in this race, which still feels quite fluid to me Mm -hmm. um, with a lot of potential surprises lurking. Uh, I do think that um, Kristen Sewer will make the five in the end, narrowly. Esther, how do you feel about the Olivia Coleman question of like what it means for for her to potentially win two, not two, not quite two in a row, but two very close together? Like, does that feel likely to you? And would that be weird? I think it feels a very strong possibility to me. Um, Obviously, Nicole has this momentum right now, but I just, that performance winning, it does sort of, it feels like a strange, like she's done so much incredible work that, um, and that movie has such sort of like a mixed response, though I'm obviously, you know, voters have loved it. I I remember going to see like the, one of the first um, Guild screenings in New York and people are just eating it up, eating up that movie. Uh, you, you just could feel in the room. Um, but I mean, I think for Olivia Coleman, it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, she is like, it, it feel it, it would feel sort of Glenda Jackson or even Emma Thompson. Obviously, Emma Thompson didn't win both for acting and she ran for both acting and writing. But, you know, 
just another statement that you're just going to have a long career and you're going to be with us forever in, you know, some capacity or another um, as as one of our greats. Um, yeah, I mean, and she is so good in that movie, though, obviously, that's the other thing. It's interesting, too, that the Spencer, you know, Spencer has proved so divisive um, and the lost, you know, as this sort of caring for this best actress nomination, but the lost daughter, which is this sort of isolating divisive movie, like, you know, we could still see Olivia Coleman winning. Yeah. And we didn't talk about the lost daughter is on the bubble of the best picture 10, which seems possible, maybe not as likely as Tick, Tick, Boom, but I, I wouldn't rule that out. Anybody else with me? Yeah, I, I think that the Academy would, you know, if they don't go for Tick, Tick, Boom and being the Ricardos, who do they go for? I feel like yeah. that that movie's total dominance at the Gothams, which has a bunch of different, very small, but um, notable juries all embracing it pretty collectively. It did really well at the Independent Spirit Awards. I mean, it feels like the indie choice um, of, of the those bubble contenders, and there's a lot of respect for it. So it's just hard for me to see a movie that sort of prickly and in a good way being able to disrupt that 10, but it's proven that it can uh, with major awards. There's also the the grim fact that the the Academy in general has trouble in best picture nominating movies about women, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. They, that's a very well-established trend. The one interesting thing about being the Ricardos is if it does get into picture, um, Nicole Kidman will, unless Rachel Zegler gets in, very likely be repping the only Best Picture nominee in that category, whereas actor will have Will Smith, Benedict Cumberbatch, if Tick, Tick, Boom gets in, Andrew Garfield, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so we're th- that very uneven split between the two lead acting categories will continue once more. Um, well, sticking with actors, uh, the acting categories for a little bit, we got a, a good handful of questions about the supporting actor category. A couple people thought maybe Jesse Plemons might sneak in uh, with the power of the dog looking fairly strong. There was one person who is rooting for Coleman Domingo, which I know is your um, your dark horse fave, uh, David. Um, I mean, supporting actor does feel kind of weird. We've kind of talked about it amongst ourselves about how Cody Smith McPhee being the runaway like critical favorite feels like it's leaving room for weird shocks in there. Does, does anyone have a firm surprise or a sense of where things are going to go on Tuesday. Is Jared mm. Leto going to get nominated? Yes. I think I so. I was on the yes train, but then when it completely got snubbed on guild, the guilds last Thursday, I, I'm back to, I don't know. Um, but he definitely could. I mean, that category feels so unformed to me um, that it feels like any combo of those, <laughs> that many, that long, long list of contenders could, could fill it out. Um, but I think he could. I think the big question mark um, threatening potentially Leto, potentially Cooper, potentially Mike Feist is like Ben Affleck, mm-hmm. um, who has been showing up here and there. And, you know, in all his kind of dinged up raggedy self has like a lot of support, a sort of affection. Um, I think the last duel went over well with at least enough people. The tender bar, which is the which coast you're on. Yeah, the exactly. Last duel. Uh, the tender bar, like, you know, it, um, not I don't know if it's been seen by many people, but his performance is really great. And that's the one he'd be nominated for. But does that mean that he would put who does that mean he would push out if he got in? Or maybe he's not the swing and it's somebody else. I think that number one right now seems to be Cody Smith McPhee, which would be really interesting uh, because that's a kind of supporting role that you don't tend to see rewarded. I mean, for one thing, it's pretty young. Mm -hmm. So, Richard, you're saying you think Mike Feist is getting in or has potential to get in? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I think Mm -hmm. he's on the bubble just as Ben Affleck is, just as Leto is. 
you know, um, I think mm. Leto is probably more of a sure bet. But like, yeah. I, I think it, the Vice thing really depends on if like the sort of surge of support for West Side Story that I kind of intuitively feel like is happening is actually happening. Does Troy Kotzer feel like a sure thing at this point? Or yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think Troy could possibly beat Cody for the win, too, depending too. how things go in the next you know, month. Um, it feels like it's very much between those two right now. But my yeah. pet theory is that if Bradley Cooper gets in, he can win because uh, the same reason that like Cody like feels like a very unusual kind of winner in this category, mm-hmm. even yeah. though he's great in the movie. I rewatched um, Slow West the other day, a movie that was at the first Sundance oh, yeah. I went to in 2015. And Cody Smith McPhee, who was just a teen at the time, um, is so good at that movie. It's him and Michael Fassbender and Ben Mendelsohn. It's a great little Western. It's on one of the streaming services. I forget which one. But, you know, he, he's been around a while. It's not like he's yeah. some brand new face on the scene. He's just been kind of always young. And now he's sort of becoming more of an adult, but playing this sort of teenage-ish role. And I don't know, I, I, for something about the whole picture of Cody and that role is is an uh, feels to me an unlikely Oscar winner or even nominee, but um, because it's a strange year, I feel like he's at the top of the heap along with um, Troy Kotzer. But then again, if you see Power of the Dog perform as well as we expect it to, like he feels like the likeliest winner of that cast. Maybe we can talk about Kirsten Dunst too, but... You know, if you want to really throw a bone toward the movie, you're going to vote for for Best Picture. Maybe that's how that happens. I do think this is also the place where they could reward Coda with a win, you know, because yeah. Yeah. it it feels like out of all the categories, this is where they could say this is how we honor this film with Troy. I think the structure of the movie really helps Cody because he's really mm-hmm. what you're left with. I mean, I saw a screen time breakdown of the movie and Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst, and, and Cody all have basically equal. But the last act of that movie is all Cody and Benedict. And it's, um, I think, also the best part of the movie. It, you know, it's the, it, it ends really strongly and with those two. And so if the movie is really well-liked by the Academy, as we think it will be, um, then that's that's the biggest thing in his favor is he's what you're left with. And um, it's a really powerful feeling. So it's Cody versus Coda. <laughs> Cody and Coda. <laughs> uh, when they tap Billy Crystal to host, just make sure he has that song ready. <laughs> well, let's talk about supporting actors for a second. I, I mentioned Kirsten Dunst and Power of the Dog. Uh, multiple people texted in wondering if Dakota Johnson gets a bump off of her pretty strong Sundance and sneaks in as a Lost Daughter nominee, which is not impossible. Mm. She's wonderful in that movie. What are you guys rooting for in supporting actress? To go to Johnson feels like kind of gay optimism. (laughs) (laughs) That's what uh, fuels the Oscars, Richard. Especially because she's been the talking point of a lot of gay Twitter of late for a story that I won't tell you about, but you should look it up. Um, (laughs) Definitely look it up. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah, I I don't know if I see that happening. I feel like with a couple exceptions, supporting actress feels a lot more shored up than yeah. does yeah. supporting actor with between DeBose, Anjanou Ellis, Kirsten Dunst, um, and Katrina Balf. Um, those four-ish seem set. And then you have Ruth Nega, Marley Matlin, Catherine Hunter, although Catherine Hunter, I don't know about that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Things feel a little more secure. That said, I don't know who's, who wins among those people. Sariana DeBose, right? Probably. I, yeah, I think so. If West Side Story is a good day, I think definitely. Yeah, if Rita yeah. Moreno walks out on that stage to present supporting actress, you know how it went down. <laughs> you know what's about to happen. That means that, uh, God, who won supporting actor last year? Daniel Kaluuya. Oh, Daniel Kaluuya. No, you, yeah, you, want to, you want to bring Daniel Kaluuya back. I guess with, with supporting actress, I feel really confident in Ruth Nega. Have, she got into SAG, which tends to go for bigger stars and bigger movies. Um, and that's such an 
amazing, critically adored performance and the fact that she was able to break through there. I think the Academy will be a friendlier audience for passing. So um, that category feels pretty set to me. Those five, uh, the four you mentioned, Richard and her, I, I guess, you know, if, if West Side Story does have a good day, Rita Moreno is not to be discounted for, mm-hmm. uh, for I think, what's safe to call a legacy nom. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it, it's feeling pretty tight. Cate uh, Blanchett did get into SAG, and if Nightmare Alley's momentum is is to be believed, then I suppose she can't be counted out either. But I don't know that the list is nearly as long as it is for supporting actor. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like it's nice that uh, Rebecca Hall got that um, first director, um, first time director um, nomination from the DGA, which also just proves they're paying attention. Yeah, people, yeah. people yeah. that totally. movie is hanging on. Yeah, and I hope she gets a run in screenplay because it's a really special, precise adaptation um, that deserves, I think, more of a look than some people are giving it there. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about a completely different category, and I want to talk about Bruno, the most popular person in America and in the world. Um, A lot of people uh, text us about Encanto, um, which, as I told you guys, I've watched many, many times, almost daily with my children, so I don't have an objective opinion on it anymore. But uh, someone else who isn't me suggested, like, maybe it sneaks into the Best Picture 10 for how popular it is. And then multiple people talked about what in the world happened, that we don't talk about Bruno, the most successful Disney musical song in decades. isn't eligible for the Oscars. They submitted Dos Orguitas uh, instead. Um, I guess first question first, do you guys see Encanto being nominated for anything other than that song and the animated feature category? Is that the craziest long shot? I think it's a little crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Not to question our our loyal uh, listeners, but um, yeah, I I mean, there's just so many films competing for Best Picture that are sort of you know, more traditional uh, live action features. I just don't think Encanto is going to be the one that breaks in, despite everyone's children really wanting it to. (laughs) (laughs) And TikTok. Don't forget TikTok. Excuse me, and TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how long has it been since an animated feature broke in? Like, it happened a couple times when they introduced the 10, but it's been a while. Like, Toy Story 3, maybe? Toy Story, I think, was the last one, yeah. Flea has also gotten a really dedicated campaign from Neon, the animated mm-hmm. Danish documentary, which debuted at Sundance, like Coda, actually. And um, it's a really special movie, but it doesn't seem to have the momentum here either. Yeah. Someone, a couple of people asked about Flea, too, because, you know, it could get nominated an international documentary and animated. And um, will it get all three? Will it get none? It's It feels like hard to know just how successful it'll be with that hat trick, I guess. Yeah, I, w- I was working on international feature predictions uh, last night, and that's a really competitive category. Mm-hmm. And you have to figure, Drive My Car, Worst Person in the World, The Hero, and Hand of God are all being nominated for various reasons. And so <laughs> it's down to one spot. And uh, I love that movie, so I hope it gets it. But the Academy's international branch likes to throw in an unexpected nominee pretty yeah. often. So I'm a little worried about it there. Um, so about we don't talk about Bruno. Uh, I I kind of think that Dos Orguitas, the song they submitted, could win anyway. We're expecting it to get nominated, and Billie Eilish being kind of the um, the heavyweight in that category, and with with original song, uh, you kind of never know what's going to happen there. So who knows what else will fill in there? Um, but do you guys think it's just like a crazy missed opportunity that they that they submitted the wrong song? I don't know. I mean, it's just so funny. I mean, I, I'm I'm sure like. 
how the Encanto sort of train has rolled on because just seeing that movie at a screening, you know, I think, I mean, Dos Origitas was a song that like moved me the most. So it does seem like it, it makes sense as an Oscar play, though, uh, you know, Disney has it has won in the past less with like the funny songs and more with the sort of moving ballads like the you, 90s radio hits yeah i mean you think that you know beauty and the beast won when be our guest was also nominated like you know i mm-hmm. think be our guest is a more like a more interesting song in many ways but it you know it, it seems like the right play at the moment i just it's like i don't know if anyone could have predicted the way that encanto has exploded i don't know katie maybe with maybe from the kit from the having kids who have watched it every single day perspective you have some insight into just how big it's gotten but um yeah i mean again with tiktok like i feel like that's where you're gonna see it happen and there the the charts thing is a little misleading i think like i don't know exactly when billboard started counting uh streams and tiktoks and things like things like that in charting but like I don't know that we don't talk about Bruno is actually a bigger song than Let It Go. Like, I think the num- the way that they count the numbers has benefited it a lot. Um, I just think they should have submitted both. Like, I, the strategy of only picking one song in a movie like this, I think, has backfired in this case. It's interesting because you you understand why, because they, they have concerns about splitting the vote. I think it's yeah. really rare for two songs from a film to be nominated. I know La La Land pulled it off, but I have a hard time remembering any other recent examples. So um, I understand why they did it, but it does seem like the the, the kids are mad. <laughs> I also do think Dos Origitas has like a great chance of winning. Just it is, it's Lin-Manuel, you know, he's been on that sort of like nearing the EGOT for so long. Um, he has Tick Tick yeah. Boom, you know, which is probably, you know, strongest as we've mentioned before in the Garfield best actor category but clearly has love across the guilds and like this is a way to get him up on stage you know and sort of honor him for an insane year truly um (laughs) of work um so I do think you know in No Time to Die just does obviously there's the Bond song you know bias but it feels like it, it never really had much of a sort of impact yeah, it already won a Grammy uh, a year ago. <laughs> it was released two years ago. You know, mm-hmm. like, it it doesn't feel as fresh. Almost or, um, three years ago, right? Because it was like I I don't remember when exactly it was released, but it was released long before the actual the first release date of No Time to Die. I think and that then, might have been released in 2019, honestly, to qualify f- because the song the movie was supposed to come out in like April 2020. Time yeah. is so strange right now. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Okay. 
Okay, while we look forward toward the nominations, we're going to look a little bit further ahead toward the Oscars themselves happening at the end of March. Uh, all signs point to them actually happening. And um, if people want to be ready for the red carpet, they could not do better than to read Esther Zuckerman's book, Beyond the Best Dress. Um, Esther, it's a very, it's not a fully exhaustive history of the red carpet because there's many years to cover, but it's really detailed and you hone in on all these specific dresses that I think really effectively tell the story of what Oscars red carpet fashion means. Esther, what does Oscars red carpet fashion mean? I, I think the reason that I wanted to write this book and sort of look at sort of look at Oscar fashion through this sort of cultural, historical, like almost political lens is that Oscar fashion tells so much story about like identity and how you present yourself and stardom across eras. Um, you sort of you can look at it from the very beginning of sort of, you know, the second Oscars of Mary Pickford, you know, being sort of almost the first person really photographed in an Oscar gown and the stories of her importing this fashion and almost it being almost sort of scandalizing, um, you know, to the way people, you know, sort of defined it on their own terms. I mean, like Joanne Woodward, making her own dress um, for for when she went to, obviously, you know, Bjork, um, probably the most infamous Oscar dress of all time, um, you know, and Cher and the sort of the, the fashions that we sort of look at as like, a, oh, the worst fashion. But it really is, it really, I think Oscar fashion really tells the story of not just like clothing, but, you know, how, especially how we look at women in the limelight. Mm -hmm. And about how we, like the, the cultural context of the Oscars is something I always find fascinating. Like why certain movies win, why the ceremony happens the way it is, like jokes that don't make any sense years later. And dresses are such a way to capture that. Like like Jane Fonda wearing her like black pantsuit um, when she was nominated for Clute, I think. Like there, there's so much from the outside world that's brought in by what people wear. Yeah, and and like the Jane Fonda Fonda one is really interesting. It was a it was a suit that was in her closet. She had that already, and she sort of knew her nomination for Clute was at sort of the very much not maybe not the peak, but a, a really sort of crucial time in her activism. And she didn't really know she she knew she might be a pariah when she was walking up on stage, and she didn't know whether she wanted to say anything, you know, make a statement out of her speech. And she actually she asked her dad, um, you know, should I what should I do? And it's like his sort of advice was like the silence is enough, and that you know the wearing a black suit was sort of like a Maoist collar really, um, really says a lot without sort of saying anything at all. Yeah, you write about the 2021 Oscars near the end of your book and, you know, Chloe uh, Shaw wearing sneakers, I think, and how, like, what a weird Oscars it was. Provided the Oscars happen this year, as we expect them to, like, are, are we just going to get a crazy big return to glam? Yeah, I mean, I think glam is going to be, uh, people are going to love, I mean, the Chloe Zhao thing um, was so specific to her sort of personality, um, the fact that she wore sneakers. I mean, they were Hermes sneakers. <laughs> they weren't just any old tennis shoes. But, you know, for someone yeah. who is sort of so um, sort of subdued in her fashion to be on that stage, I also think like you just look at obviously Best Actresses, you know, the category that we look to this for a lot. And you just look at some of the people that are going to be there. I mean, 
or we think are going to be there. Sorry, <laughs> many different things, but you know, <laughs> you have Gaga who tends to obviously is known for her wild fashions, but tends to go very like Hollywood glamour when she is, um, when she is, she's acting the part of an Oscar nominee. So I would expect her mm -hmm. to go like that. If Kristen Stewart does get in, she has the deal with Chanel and, but she has sort of incredibly molded her own style in her image, her, that style in her image, um, you know, taking, you know, threading in the sort of pristine, um, glamour of Chanel with her sort of punk, her punk style. I mean, we have, you know, Nicole, I just, I do think it's going to be a really, you know, we're back at the Dolby Theater. People want to show off. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you most hope gets nominated so that you can see what they wear? I mean, honestly, Kristen, um, I am such a I am such a fan of her fashion and the way she has what I just said before, the way she yeah. has recreated it, a recreated iconic glamour in very much her own image, um, you know. Another one that I actually sort of hope, um, you know, I, I think it's more of a long shot is Rachel Zegler. Um, I loved sort of seeing how she has sort of stretched her wings um, in the past. So I'm like full princess, right? It, like, I, I think of that just a giant dress she wore the West Side Story premiere. Oh, yeah. I mean, both on both coasts, she wore, you know, sort of <laughs> beautiful, like beautiful princess gowns. And I, I love to see that. Also, Ariana Bose's fa fashion has been really interesting. She's been going for a lot of suits, um, a lot of really, a really fascinating thing. I mean, you know, I think the interesting thing is people have gotten a little safer with their Oscar fashion. You know, you sort of want a Lady Gaga to pull a Cher um, and come out, you know, when Cher, Cher's most famous Oscar look is the 86 look where she was actually just a presenter and she has that, it's the it's all Bob Mackie and she has this towering headdress and it was actually sort of like a revenge look. <laughs> it was a revenge look because they didn't nominate her for the Peter Bogdanovich mask. Um, really incredible to do revenge dressing at the Oscars for not <laughs> nominating you. I don't know who, who who could possibly do that now. Only Cher. But then when she did get nominated and won for Moonstruck, she also was like, I'm going to go as sheer as like humanly possible. And it's like I, I talked to Bob Mackie for the book and it's like, it is actually if, if it wasn't sheer, it'd be a very sort of like, you know, 20s style, like almost demure, but it's sheer because it's sheer. And like, I did not mean for that to rhyme. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you want Gaga, you know, now that she's in this position to do something like that and her, you know, what she was doing, the, that purple look she wore um, at, for the first Gucci premiere was wild and wonderful. But she she so wants to play the part, I think, of, you know, the the nominee like that. I think she'll go sort of something huge, but a little bit more staid. Um, I do wish she would just go full meat dress, whatever, um, for the war, for the Oscars. But she's I doubt she will. She wants to be, as we've heard from all of her interviews, um, taken very seriously as an actress. Um. <laughs> I mean, speaking of Hasaguchi, though, like Jared Leto, when he won his Oscar, like he went pretty classic. Like he wasn't in his like full Alessandro Michelle fashion uh, icon yeah. period. So who knows what he might wear this time? 
I mean, in men's fashion has, men's fashion almost in the past couple of years has gotten almost more interesting. I sort of, in the book, I peg it as, I believe, you know, um, around the 2018 Oscars was sort of the year that like, Men really started stepping up. Um, Chadwick Boseman, um, it was right as Black Panther was coming out. He wore this like incredible Givenchy um, jacket with these beautiful shoulders. And then sort of following year, you know, you have, that's the same year like Adam Rippon came in the harness, like, which then sort of has been echoed by, a, that harness has been echoed by a bunch of people. Like men have gotten way more interesting um, in the past. Actually, Keith Stanfield last year looked incredible so hopefully some of them show up i am i'm friendly with uh jared little's uh stylist and he's gonna tattoo the italian flag on his naked body and um that's gonna be the look oh okay that makes yeah. sense yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what if what if he just you know instead of the like tattoo that he had on his forehead for suicide squad it just says boof yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, well, Esther, where can people get your book? Uh, it's, on, it's on shelves now, right? It's on shelves now, so you can buy it at your favorite bookseller. Yeah, and we're running an excerpt from um, from your book with, with the chapter about share, so you can read that on VF.com as well. Very exciting. Um, thank you so much. That does it for this week's show. You can find us at VanityFair.com, including Esther and her the excerpt from her book. Um, you can find us on Twitter at LittleGoldMen and on our own. I am at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylas. And Rebecca. Becca M. Ford. And David. David Canfield 97. And Esther, you can promote your Twitter handle and also other places people can find your work. Uh, Easy Writes. And uh, you can find my work at Thrillist.com. This week's episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for the reason that Drive My Car will get a Best Picture nomination goes to Esther Zuckerman. Kids have watched it every single day. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. From PRX.